What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Dad the Man podcast, where we love and lead ourselves, our families, and our communities from the front, unconditionally, from a place of opportunity, not obligation, all at the same time, still pursuing our own personal and professional goals as well. That's what we do. That's who we are here at Dad the Man. My name is Brendan Wall, and I am your host, and I want to thank you so much for being here today. Whether you have listened to every single episode along the way, or maybe today's your first time tuning in, wherever you fall on that spectrum, thank you for being here. You could spend this next hour doing literally anything else, but you have chosen to tune in here, and my goal is to give you the best return on your time and attention as possible, and I want to thank you. Thank you, thank you for being here. I hope you enjoy what we have in store. So today's guest is none other than the Stan Efforting. Stan is an IFBB professional bodybuilder and world record holding power lifter. He is one of only 10 men in the world to ever total 2,300 pounds raw in competition. Stan also holds the title as the world's strongest bodybuilder. He studied exercise science at the University of Oregon and has been training high school, collegiate, and professional athletes for over 25 years including household legendary names like Hafthor Jornson, Ed Cohn, Ben Smith, Flex Wheeler, and literally thousands and thousands of others. Stan is also a successful entrepreneur, having built three different startup businesses into multi-million dollar companies, including The Vertical Diet, which is widely adopted from average Joes to professional athletes all over the world. I've actually been implementing this myself recently, and I've had tremendous results, to be completely honest with you. Um, I was really struck by this conversation with Stan, and after catching up with him, I decided to dive into the vertical diet and have really enjoyed it so far. So check it out if you're looking for um, a new meal plan, high protein, high micronutrients, high uh, organized and balanced macronutrients. It, it makes things really simple. Highly recommend it. Stan is a, a pinnacle of consistency with decades of superhuman strength and business success under his belt, and the lessons he's learned along the way are invaluable. But above it all, Stan is an incredible man, husband, and father, and it was truly an honor to host him on the show. So here's my conversation with the Stan Efferding. All right, fellas, today's guest, he is the white rhino. He is the world's strongest bodybuilder. He's probably the strongest dude that we've ever had on the show. Mark Bell might give him a run for his money. I'm not sure. Uh, Stan Efferding, thank you so much for making the time to be here. Welcome to the Dad the Man podcast. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you having me on. I'm certainly got to be the strongest uh, with this AARP card. I'm almost <laughs> 55 now. <laughs> there, hey, you hold the title. There we go. I'll take uh, it. Well, good stuff. So let's jump in. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. I want to give everybody a chance to get to know you a little bit, give some context to your story um, and how you parent now. So if you don't mind taking us back to your childhood, tell us a little bit about what you were like as a kid, your childhood, relationship with your parents, siblings, the whole nine yards. Oh, man. This is a question I haven't been asked much. Uh, Pre-college, uh, <laughs> I usually usually don't get asked much, but uh, I was a skinny kid. I was uh, 98 pounds in high school. Uh, wow. Even even scrawnier prior to that, I got the chicken legs award from my soccer coach. I ended up getting a scholarship to play college soccer. But uh, you know, I was an awkward kid. I had tics. Uh, sometimes I I still get them when I'm stressed. Mm -hmm. uh, what's interesting is my ten year old daughter now has the same uh, the same facial tics that I had when I was a kid. So mm -hmm. I was always insecure about that. I was also 
uh, highly active. I started working at a very young age. I was 12 years old. I got a job at 7-Eleven stocking the cooler and, you know, counting cans and uh, front facing and cleaning and stuff. And I would work a lot of hours there. Worked at my mom's bakery. So every day after school, I would work until dark. Um, and so I was kind of, I think I was under sleeping and, and under eating. I was kind of a carboholic. I would just drink soda pops and maybe eat the hot dogs and the nachos with the pump cheese at 7-Eleven. And so, uh, you know, it's one of the things I talk about a lot. I've got a book coming out. You know, you've heard of the vertical diet, obviously, is the one that's been out for some years now. But yep. I'm writing a book called Vertical Kids. And I talk about that story and about how I was underdeveloped. I had delayed onset puberty as a result. I'm, you know, a 17 year old senior in high school and hadn't gone through puberty yet. And those kinds of things weigh heavy on you as a kid, particularly, you know, we all think we're weird in some sense. And, and I had a host of, of challenges that I felt I was dealing with. But nonetheless, I was in sports. I was wrestling and playing soccer. And so uh, it, I, I didn't feel as though I was necessarily excluded or ostracized. I, I did most of it to myself. Um, but, you know, since getting to college and starting to learn about nutrition and then ultimately, uh, you know, starting to lift weights to build some self-confidence, which a lot of uh, young weightlifters, it's the reason why they're in the gym, not because they're arrogant or cocky, but because they're insecure. And, and uh, you know, they, they go to that as, a, as an opportunity to uh, maybe develop themselves and, and hopefully some confidence in, along the way. But I talk a lot about the fact that uh, just the foundation of under eating and under sleeping and, and what a huge impact that has on a child's development. And so that'll be a big component of, you know, the vertical kids book that I've got coming out. So awkward kid undersized, started lifting weights, started learning and, and studying exercise science at the University of Oregon. And, uh, you know, eventually I was able to, to get some size and strength and started competing in bodybuilding and powerlifting. And, um, you know, 25 years of that later, now I'm kind of in the coach and an educator trying to help others navigate that path. And I always say, if I knew then what I know now, uh, just from all the lessons that I learned along the way from the School of Hard Knocks, uh, just help folks kind of navigate that so it's not as difficult for them as my road was. Very cool. Okay, so I want to put a pin in the book and I want to come back to that because that's a topic that I definitely want to cover and dive into a little bit today. So there's a big gap between the build of a of a soccer player around the college age and the way you are now. You're you're a big dude. You put on, I mean, you got some muscle on you. They're like anybody that's ever seen you knows there's a contrast there. So what did you learn along the way? When did you fall along or fall in love with, was it bodybuilding? Was it powerlifting? What was the first thing that really piqued your attention in there? Yeah, 135 pound freshman in college at 18 years old. I just wanted to lift weights to try and get bigger. I was actually encouraged to do so by my soccer coach because I was so small and I just fell in love with it. I just, I just absolutely fell in love with the training. Uh, which to this very day, I really love to to lift. Everybody has kind of, I think, their hobby or hopefully a sport, something active that they enjoy doing. And I've always said the best exercise is the one you'll do. And so uh, in this regard, I've been fortunate. And so I went and got Arnold Schwarzenegger's Encyclopedia Bodybuilding, probably the first book I ever bought in college. Yeah, <laughs> And I go. just started reading through it. And the next thing you know, I was in the gym trying to train two hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, and I was eating a quote unquote bodybuilder diet, which was usually a pre-contest diet because the guy behind the counter at Gold's Gym was getting ready for a show. <laughs> and that consisted of tuna fish and rice cakes primarily and a lot of restriction. And so I didn't gain much size. The first two years I lifted, I, I ended up competing in 1988. I was 158 pounds. That's not very large for a six foot 
bodybuilder on stage. Uh, and then I, I just happened to be, you know, in the exercise science program, I came across a, a coach and a mentor and a gym owner and a, a competitor and a judge in, in the industry. And he, uh, he just kind of set me straight. He said, look, you're overtraining and undereating, much the same as I did all through high school. And uh, he flipped the script on me. He said, you can come to the gym every other day, train for an hour. He goes, but get five, you know, four or five meals a day consistently, eat on a clock. And so by flipping the script that way, I started getting bigger and bigger uh, progressively. It took me some 10 years, obviously, from being such a small kid before I was uh, really competitive. And, and along the way, I felt as though the stronger I got, the bigger I would get. And uh, looking back now, of course, we understand that's not necessarily the case. But uh, so I lifted as heavy as I could. So ultimately, I did get stronger, but I, I didn't uh, I didn't achieve the level of bodybuilding uh, uh, physique that I had, uh, that would have been competitive at that time. It took me another 10 or 15 years to get really competitive. I finally got my pro card when I was, uh, uh, you know, in 2009, when I was 40. So, you know, I competed for 22 years before I got my pro card. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. Or thereabouts. And so, you know, that's, that's kind of how that, that, that road went for me. It, it took a long time. I learned a lot of lessons the hard way. Uh, I should say that I probably gained and lost, albeit intentionally, well over a thousand pounds throughout my career, my 25 years of competing, wow. you know, bulking up to get as big and strong as I could to power lift and then dieting down to single digit body fat to compete as a bodybuilder and then back and forth and back and forth. And I learned both pursuits along the way and uh, I was training University of Oregon um, track athletes and football players after college. Uh, I was a high school soccer coach. And so I did have the opportunity and have had the opportunity since I was relatively young in this industry in the early 90s uh, to work with athletes as well. Uh, and uh, so I, I just through practical experience, I think I learned a lot of lessons that now are, are what seemingly somewhat obvious with all the research that we have available to us. Remembering back then, uh, the internet didn't exist. And so uh, it was it was really hard to find good information. Uh, nowadays, there's so many great academics and so much uh, published research that uh, you'd be hard spent to stray too far off course for very long. Mm -hmm. What is What was the big, uh, I guess, the aha moment? I know it, you, you needed to eat more with your diet, but I'm thinking about somebody who's, you know, maybe they're a dad, maybe they're a husband, and they're they're saying, okay, I've kind of let myself go over the last however many years since college. The freshman 15 never really went away, whatever it was. They're still hanging on to some weight. They want to get back into it, and they're trying to get their nutrition dialed in, trying to figure out what to do. I think if you are in that position, you probably see the stuff that's the most heavily marketed through influencers and stuff on Instagram, and that looks like it looks like the leanest meat possible and maybe some broccoli and, like, water. And, like, just like you said, it's all restriction. But to your point, that may not necessarily yield the best fruit. Do you mind giving us some broad strokes, general guidelines, uh, maybe pull from the vertical diet, help, help the guy who's trying to get back into it where he can get started? I'm glad you posited it that way because that's very important. Uh, the broad strokes, and that's what I focus on most, is the, the foundation. Uh, there's four legs to the stool. Uh, first and foremost, sleep which is something that we all sacrifice, burning the candle at both ends. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is, I think, um, 
maybe because we don't prioritize sleep as much as we should or, or appreciate how valuable it is in this whole process. Uh, you know, getting lacking sleep can increase hunger. So now you're overeating. Uh, it releases ghrelin hormone, which triggers hunger. Uh, satiation is a huge component of diet compliance. It's not willpower. It's subconscious. It's not conscious. You won't win that battle. And so you need to, to get on the front end uh, of these things by applying the right lifestyle habits that just kind of make it, make it easier for you. Mm-hmm. Most folks, they, they get to bed and they start scrolling through Instagram or they watch TV uh, and they just, they don't give themselves an opportunity to be successful in that regard. But seven plus hours, cool room, quiet room, dark room, wake up at the same time every morning, get exposed to sunlight. Those are the big rocks for sleep and just try and get enough. That's probably the foundation upon which everything else is constructed. A lack of sleep also creates insulin resistance, and we all know what a, a you know problem that is. Mm-hmm. And then sleep apnea, of course, can uh, dramatically uh, affect the sleep quality, uh, not just the quantity, but the quality. And it can also raise blood pressure, suppress th- thyroid hormones, suppress testosterone. All of those things uh, have to do with sleep. So that's, that's one very important leg of the stool. Uh, the next one, of course, is going to be nutrition. And you're right. I think people set themselves up for failure by over-restricting or creating a whole bunch of good food, bad food um, uh, choices that are unnecessary. With respect to nutrition, calories are king. You will have to maintain a slight calorie deficit in order to lose weight, but it should be something that's sustainable, uh, becomes part of the lifestyle and not some uh, you know, temporary intervention. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be a fad. I have clients that do keto. I have clients that intermittent fast. I have clients that are vegan. I have a chapter about all those things in my book. It's really, and it doesn't matter. They're all equivocal. It's whatever diet works for you and helps make it easier for you to comply. Uh, But there are no boogeymen out there. I would say the one thing that after calories that's important is to get sufficient protein. It really helps with lean mass retention. It helps with energy. It helps with satiety. Uh, has a higher thermic effect of food. So you only net out about 70 calories out of every 100 that you consume because it, uh, it does cause uh, more, what we call thermic effect of food, that you, you burn more calories consuming protein than the other calories. I don't want to get too deep into that dive, but basically uh, you don't have to be over-restrictive and you don't have to demonize certain foods. Uh, ideally, again, getting in front of it, working on satiety at a subconscious level, uh, you would choose mostly whole foods. We've seen in the research that highly palatable, ultra-processed foods, fast food, packaged food, uh, we just tend to overeat it. When they do studies on ad libitum behavior, meaning just letting you at your leisure to eat what you want, when you want. Mm -hmm. When you eat processed foods as opposed to whole foods, we tend to over-consume by as much as 500 calories a day. Uh, And that over time will of course lead to that uh, freshman 15 that's, that's never disappeared. And so that's the good strategy. And another good strategy is just to eat uh, uh, higher protein as mentioned, um, higher satiety foods. There's a satiety index that I put in the book that, uh, that helps you stay fuller longer. Um, you know, boiled potatoes, oranges, obviously protein fiber, you know, throwing a salad in with your meals, those kinds of things that just, help you subconsciously just be less hungry less often. And that's a good strategy. We don't have a lot of uh, of real tools in our toolbox for 
for diet, as you can tell, because of the, the high failure rate. But most of it has to do with those very few things I just mentioned. Uh, the third leg of the stool is going to be exercise. And I think, again, here, I think people overestimate what they need to do and they set themselves up for failure by creating a, a program that's unsustainable. Um, or they train so hard that they experience what we call compensation where their body actually slows down outside the gym because of the overexertion inside the gym or whatever method you're using. Uh, you know, you go to a CrossFit box and crush a workout and you come home and you sit more and eat more because you're tired and hungry. It's completely unnecessary. And I don't recommend it to be honest with you. Uh, a foundation for exercise will, would, for me, uh, that, that fits all of that, that, I think manages a lot of these problems be the 10 minute walk uh, three times a day that exceeds the, the weekly uh, recommendation by most health organizations. Uh, that's, you know, which is 150 minutes a week of cardio. So I get, you know, at least 210 minutes a week of cardio in just by doing three 10 minute walks a day. They improve satiety, your step count throughout the days being somewhere north of 6,000 steps. I try and get between eight and 10 uh, actually helps improve satiety. If I do it post-meal, which is what I generally recommend, it helps digestion, it helps with blood sugar management, it can reduce postprandial glycemia, the spike of uh, blood sugars after a meal, by up to 30%, which is twice as effective as metformin, the number one prescribed medication for type 2 diabetes, uh, for reversing or preventing diabetes. So the 10-minute walk to me, plus it's sustainable. I could do it anywhere, anytime. I just yep. walked in the door five minutes ago. I walked my kids to school and I do that every morning. Then I go pick them up every afternoon. And then I got to get another one in, uh, you know, at nighttime before bed after dinner. And, and if I'm traveling, I can walk around the hotel or in the hotel. If the weather's bad, if I'm going to pick up my luggage at the, the uh, baggage claim, I'm walking in circles around baggage claim while everybody's standing there looking, I'm actually getting my steps in. Uh, and they, you know, of course they look at me, somewhat odd because I'm, I'm just walking in circles and somewhat deliberately, you know, with a little bit yep. of an arm swing and to me, it's, it's not jogging, but it's, it's certainly not too leisurely. Mm -hmm. I'm deliberate about it. And, and on, on the exercise note, I should add that in addition to the 10 minute walks, which can satisfy your cardiovascular needs, um, I would add some sort of resistance training. Uh, unfortunately, there's no substitution for loading the muscles. The muscles are a sink for glucose, uh, it's great for bone mineral density. Strength is directly uh, related to longevity, not just lifespan, but health span. And so I just, I try and design some sort of resistance training program that's consistent with the individual schedule. That's being the first and foremost, the most important thing you can do is, is don't set up a workout plan that you can't adhere to, whether it's something you do in your garage or if two days a week, you go to the gym. It can be something that simple. And I, I put a whole bunch of different programs in my book that, that first and foremost focus on what days do you have and times do you have available. Uh, and then you just go in and do some sort of resistance training. Generally, I think a lot of folks tuned into you probably want to do that. It's whether or not they can do it consistently. Uh, and again, because they set themselves up for failure by presuming that it has to be much more than it, than it does. You can gain and maintain muscle tissue on two workouts a week. Just go and do your full body. And if you're supersetting opposing body parts, say chest and back or quads and hamstrings, then you can greatly reduce the amount of time you need to be in the gym. And I can work my whole body, the major muscle groups, uh, push pull legs uh, in probably less than 35 minutes. And I've done it many times. I did a whole video with Thomas DeLauer up at his place in California where we did an entire workout in, in less than 35 minutes. So 
that's my suggestion. I don't go much beyond that unless somebody has some penchant to compete in something. And obviously, you know, we, we have, you know, more elaborate programs for athletes, but that's the third leg of the stool. So we've talked about sleep. We've talked about nutrition. Uh, now we talked about exercise and I, I hope I presented them in such a way that it seems achievable and sustainable mm-hmm. uh, within the confines of, you know, a, a busy professional that's got a wife and kids and a job. Um, and, and that's, those are the big three. Number four, I would say is going to be hormones or medication, uh, or just, uh, some attention to getting your blood work done, recognizing if you have any deficiencies. I use a company called Merrick health, M-A-R-E-K health.com. And on my website, I have a free link to a blood test that I have done. It's only a hundred and with my 10% discount, it's only $126. So very affordable, kind of reduces the barrier to entry. You do it online. You don't need to make an appointment with a doctor. You just go online, sign up for a blood test. They email you a form that you print out and take to LabCorp, uh, get a blood test. And three days later, they email you the results. And at least it gives you some sort of measurement uh, to know if, to see if you have, uh, they shows you the normal ranges and it shows you where you fall. And, and maybe you can identify things, you know, like I experienced obviously in high school and thereafter, uh, like hypogonadism, low testosterone, uh, hypothyroidism, which is very common in a lot of women or people who undersleep and overtrain. Mm-hmm. Um, it just gives you a good idea of some things that you might need to address. Maybe if more than anything, it just says, hey, wake up. You're, you know, you need to improve these health markers. You need to lose a little bit of weight. You need to exercise a little more. You need to watch your diet so that your lipids, you know, your LDL, uh, your cholesterol is under control. Um, and those kinds of things I kind of take a deep dive into as to what foods to eat in the diet. Um, so that's kind of the four legs of the stool. I think it's, it's very achievable, uh, very affordable. Uh, I did a video called Stress for Success, one of my YouTube rants. Uh, one of the ones I, I, I get a lot of really good feedback on. And I talk about the fact, I, I use the term pay yourself first. I discuss how many times throughout my life, and those people who are familiar with me know that I've built five multi-million dollar companies in the last 20 years. And uh, there were times at which I I didn't go to the gym. I'm not going to say couldn't. I just didn't. I worked from, you know, dark to dark, burned a candle at both ends, slept four hours a night. Uh, I was miserable. I had probably one time I hadn't been in the gym in a year and I was eating uh, McDonald's dollar meals for breakfast and lunch just because I was so broke. That's about all I could afford. And then a college dinner was uh, top ramen and mac and cheese. And I had three roommates and, and you know, I was 30 years old uh, at this time. And I'd already had numerous jobs and made over a hundred grand a year at some of those jobs. Uh, but when you start your own business, there's no paycheck, you know, and you take a considerable <laughs> risk. I'd sold everything I had. I'd run up credit card debt. I was grinding every day trying to get a business started and I was broke. Uh, and uh, more than just being broke, uh, I, was, I was tired, I was stressed. And so I, I wasn't respecting my sleep. I wasn't respecting my nutrition and I wasn't exercising regularly. And so I went to the store and I got this book by Jim Lohr called Stress for Success. And all that was in the book was what we just discussed. You, you need to pay yourself first. You need to have a foundation so that you're strong enough to handle the stress. The stress isn't going to go away. The stress is just a weight. Mm-hmm. I look at it like the gym. If, if you can bench 300 pounds and somebody puts 200 pounds in the bar, no problem. You're repping it out. But if you can only bench 100 pounds because you're weak and tired and, and you're not taking care of yourself and somebody puts 200 pounds in the bar, 
it'll crush you. It's the same 200 pounds, but it's whether or not you're strong enough to lift it. And I look at stress the same way. And if you don't get sufficient sleep and you're on a crappy diet and you're not just taking a little as little as taking walks every day, you're weaker and the stress seems heavier. It's the same stress. And so I, I left the library that day. And, and of course, I had been training and competing for some 12 years up to that point. But I had, had set it to the side to run my business. And uh, I did exactly what I knew needed to be done. Uh, and I hope this serves as a reminder to anybody who's who's tired and, and stressed out that the most important thing you can do is to first and foremost, improve your sleep, take 10 minute walks after meals, go to the gym twice a week and stop eating like an asshole. I really can't say it any nicer. Uh, you know, treat yourself well, take care of it. You're, you're not going to put, you know, crappy gas in a sports car and it's going to sputter and, and spit and cough uh, and you'll get sick more and you just won't be as effective at work. And so that's a huge message, I think, that I send to people. Pay yourself first. Uh, if you take care of just a few of those things, then all of a sudden you're kicking ass again at work. It, it changed for me almost overnight, within a week of just sleeping, taking 10-minute walks, and, and starting to eat you know, healthy. Um, I, was, I was right on my game again. I was getting so much more done at work. Uh, you know, it was just, and ultimately, you know, that business became very successful, as did numerous after that. And Every time I neglect my foundation, my health, uh, the legs of the stool, everything in my life suffers, my relationships, my business, all of it. That is phenomenal context to a really simple framework that you just outlined that everybody can digest. Everybody can take that. They can take the four legs of that stool. And I love the way that you tied that into, it's not necessarily about having abs that you can see in the mirror. It's about developing this tolerance for tension so that you can like being a husband, being a father, running, like leading a family, leading a business, being an employee, coaching little league, whatever it is. It's awesome, but it's stressful. Like that stress doesn't, to your point, doesn't go away, but the mm -hmm. higher your tolerance can go for handling that stress, the better you will be in those roles. Like, yeah. sure, it's awesome to look in the mirror and see abs. That's cool. But it's this other stuff. That's the point. That's the real point. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I love the way that you tied that together. Um, so thank you so much for outlining all that. That that helps me tremendously. Uh, sleep is something that I, I burn it at both ends. I'm guilty of it. I think the task in that one extra 30 minutes to 40 hour, whatever it is, is going to be more important than the sleep. Um, but it's kind of, you know, it's a good reminder that I might be, you know, stepping over dollars to pick up pennies in, in some regard. Um, so I appreciate you outlining that for us. Yeah. And, you know, I got to say on that note, and, and we're probably headed there now in terms of the, the, the next question, but with kids, it's especially important. Obviously, I put my kids to bed at nine o'clock. Mm -hmm. I think most parents use that time between nine and 11 to kind of wind down and watch TV, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's a big mistake. I think that's an opportunity for you to get ahead of your sleep. And the reason being is, is because when my kids are awake, I'm a lot less productive because it's about them and it's not about me. And they take a lot of time and energy, which is why I can't wait for school. You know, school just started. Uh, and because and, that's at least six hours of good quality work. But when I wanted to get my book finished, uh, and I'm working on another one now, as mentioned, uh, I found that 
I couldn't work at night between nine and 11. It's it just not an effective time uh, yeah. to get anything, you know, meaningful done. So I started going to bed a little earlier. I put my kids to bed at nine and by nine 30, I was asleep. Then I would get up early and I would, the first thing I would do in the morning is just throw on my clothes and go out and take a walk. Uh, it's, you know, I'm in Vegas, so it's sunny here. So that's a good benefit. Mm-hmm. But if, if the weather is terrible, maybe you have a little treadmill in your garage or a recumbent bike or something, and you sit in front of an open window and get some light. And then I'm able to get an hour or two of work done before they wake up in the morning. And that was very productive time for me. I just consistently, initially, I just had to go through the phase of trying to put myself on that schedule. Mm-hmm. And, and then I, I you know, would start writing for maybe 15 minutes a day. You have to kind of set the habit first. And eventually I was able to get a good solid hour of writing done every morning which is really, you know, about all the effectiveness you have, you go much beyond an hour and you're, you're probably diminishing returns. You're not getting anything, you know, I think really accomplished. And then I go wake the kids up and I get them ready for school. And, uh, you know, so that's just another suggestion in in terms of managing your time so that uh, you put yourself in a position to be more successful and understand the demands of your family and how impossible it is to sit and concentrate on anything for more than five minutes with kids running around the house. It just, you can't be done. <laughs> Don't yeah. set yourself up for for failure by, by even trying to do it. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're so much worse at multitasking than I think we want to believe that we are um, to, to your point there. Yeah. I mean, I've, my, my wife and I do something similar. Our kids are a little younger. They're like three and five. So they're, they're yeah. in that range and they're, you know, they're usually by eight o'clock. They're like, we're out of their rooms. We're, we're done with bedtime. And, the times where my wife and I are like, okay, kids are down. Maybe we'll go flip the dishes, get the kitchen cleaned up, whatever hit, you know, starts winding down for bed. Like those weeks, those months, like that's when we're like, to your point, like we're like all of a sudden we're crushing it. But if we slip into the thing where it's like, oh, there's a Netflix series that we kind of got suckered <laughs> into. And then we're like, it's a killer. We're like, all right, one more episode. One, the, you know, this 30 minutes of sleep won't matter. And then you end up watching yeah. two more and then, you don't go to sleep till 11. Then it's like, you do that two, three nights in a row, you end up in a deficit of, you know, three, four hours of sleep. It accumulates. And then you, with kids, you can't really catch it back up. It's hard. That's what I found. It's you don't want to dig that hole. It's brutal. No. And it's hard because that's, you know, that's free time. That's turning off the brain time. You could just sit there and and just veg out. And uh, I would just suggest that, 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 like you said, it kind of sets you back. I use those 10 minute walks, you know, after dinner or at breakfast uh, or after meals, uh, they're kind of like, they charge my battery. I feel so much more fresh. Uh, they get my, my brain working again. Uh, I can stave off uh, kind of the afternoon sleepies. Uh, I use them strategically. And there was a, there's a woman on uh, a motivator on, on uh, YouTube or social media, whose name I forget to credit her for this, but she was, she would count back from five, count down from five, whenever there was something that she just needed to do yep. five, four, three, two, one. And then she would get up and she would do it. And that was kind of how she initiated a behavior. Uh, I found out I'm a little, uh, ADD. So by the time I got from five to one, I was distracted <laughs> and, and wouldn't do it. So I had to do three, two, one. <laughs> was, and then I couldn't interrupt myself with some other thought, yeah. but that's what I do. Sometimes I'll be sitting there, you know, and I work at home, I work off my phone a lot, you know, a lot of, uh, a correspondence via email and what have you and social media, uh, which is another very difficult task to be working on social media and not get distracted by the, uh, you know, the Brutal. everything that's coming through. Um, and so oftentimes I'll sit there and I'll just kind of feel myself sort of, you know, 
nodding off, you know, or just not nearly as, as attentive. And that's boom. That's when I stand up and I go take my 10 minute walk and it's brisk and it's deliberate. And I swing my arms. And uh, when I get back, man, it's like somebody just recharged my battery and I'm so much more effective. Mm -hmm. uh, there was some really interesting research that came out just recently showing that one 30 minute bout of exercise at the end of the day is not as effective as three 10 minute bouts throughout the day. Uh, mm -hmm. And that was both in terms of, of, of health span. Uh, I think they did another one that was the bus driver and, and the conductor, or the train driver and conductor, one being on their feet and walking around all day and one sitting. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, that person who got up frequently and moved around and was active throughout the day. Uh, so I would suggest, you know, as I did to a lot of my athletes when they fly, set a timer for one hour and every hour on the hour all day long, every time your timer goes off, get up and move around for f at least five minutes, you know, mm -hmm. walk around briskly and deliberately. If the weather's bad, you can just take a spin around your kitchen island or up and down the hallways and stairs of your home, uh, mm -hmm. whatever it takes. Uh, my daughter now does it somewhat habitually because uh, she's seen me do it. You know, kids tend to follow the behaviors, but periodically throughout the day, I'll just pace. I'll walk in circles around the inside of my home, up and down the hallways and around the kitchen island. And now she very commonly, even when she's watching a program or she's, uh, uh, you know, doing something on the computer, she'll get up and start skipping around uh, the same circle that I've been traversing for many years now. That's awesome. uh, and it's, it, it's, you know, to me, I'm, I'm always smiling inside that, uh, uh, that, that kids will follow your behaviors. And if your behaviors are, are good behaviors, then that's a good thing. A hundred percent, hundred percent. It's a big, big responsibility. I love the timer idea. I had Jason Kalipa on, well-known successful crossfit yeah. veteran uh, i'm sure you've run into him a time or two sure. he uh he wrote a book called amrap mentality and i took that model and i had him on the show and we talked about it I, i've applied that to basically what you just outlined so i'm like okay for 60 minutes or 90 minutes or 40 minutes or whatever it is i'll set a timer put my phone to the side and say all right at work whether I'm at work or I'm at home, like maybe I'm going to work on cleaning the garage or there's, you know, whatever it is, something at work. I'll set that timer. And no matter what, when it gets up, when it goes off, I get up and like, I might just walk to the water fountain and back, or I might walk to the restroom and back or take a lap around the building, come back. But I found that if I do that throughout the day, I don't have like the two or three o'clock crash. Like I right. can keep, you know what I mean? I can kind of work to the finish line as opposed to like, you go a little past, so you burn a little bit. And then after lunch, it's just like, well, can I just go take a nap now? Like, I'm done. Like, I'm fried. Yeah. Now, there's been a million times, and a, and a lot of dads out there, and, and, and you included, will appreciate this. When you get home from work after a long day of working, and you haven't moved much. You've been sitting around all day, right? Yep. Uh, when you get home from work, uh, you're exhausted. And you can't even imagine going to the gym or doing a workout. Mm -hmm. It's mental exhaustion. It's mental fatigue that's causing mm -hmm. that problem. It's not physical. And so I would plan when, as soon as I got home from work, I would jump in the shower immediately before I did anything else. I come home and I would jump in the shower and change my clothes. Uh, and I would use some contrast. I would turn on cold and back to warm and cold back to warm. And just a brief shower. And it completely uh, re recharges your battery again. And, and you put on a new set of clothes and you just feel like a new person. A lot of it is mental fatigue. As I talked earlier about diet compliance, a lot of it is, is uh, your, your conscious will shut you down and you need to get ahead of that subconsciously 
and create these strategies that allow you to be more successful, kind of trick yourself in some mm-hmm. way uh, yep. to be able to, you know, to keep moving because those are valuable hours at night. And if you're tired, sit down. And then next thing you know, you're eating, which further kind of puts you into that, uh, that, that calorie surplus again, and makes you more tired. Uh, so, and you know, Jason CrossFitters in general, they would go in and train Jason probably at least three times a day, but it would be a, a 15 or 20 minute workout, yep. you know, and, and he would just, he would go in when Jason was competing, he would train at least three times a day. Uh, and they, but they were brief and you would just go and warm up and knock out a really aggressive. I, I think it's perfect that AMRAP lifestyle is exactly representative of how he conducted himself in sports and why he's so successful. Yeah, no doubt about it. And it's, uh, it- to be able to, like you were just giving the example, hopping in the shower, changing clothes, get a little movement, a little contrast, like mentally wake yourself up. I think that's so important because, you know, as like just the, the way a typical day is going to be structured for, and this will apply to, like you said, to a large majority of people. You go to work during the day, you come home and after work, whatever time, five, six, whatever time that may be. And then that's really the time that you're going to end up spending with your family for a lot of people. That's, that's kind of the bucket that I fall into pretty traditional in that sense. I want to be able to give my wife and kids like the best I got. I don't want to come in and just be on fumes and then sit down again and then eat and then have a beer and then just like completely run out of gas. Yeah. Way short of the finish line. Like that's that to me, that's gold. Like that's like the, that's a takeaway I think for anybody listening that could like instantly, like you will show up better as a husband and father. If you can mentally wake yourself back up when you come home, like that's huge. And selfishly speaking, I try and involve the kids in things that I like to do or want to do. Uh, Now I do a kid's power hour every Sunday at the gym. I started inviting other parents. We've got a dozen kids now that come in every Sunday and they squat bench and deadlift. Uh, but for many years, I would go out in the garage and I would have the kids come with me and I would set up something that was fun for them. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't make them squat bench and deadlift with me. I would set up <laughs> something that was fun, you know, yeah. and they would compete with each other doing chin ups or push ups. And I would give them a dollar if that's for the winner who could do the most push ups. And, yeah. you know, I would make it incentivize them, but they would see me out there training in my garage. And now mm-hmm. they go to the gym with me. And I know most gyms don't allow kids, but mine does. I have my own gym and I let parents bring their kids in to work out with them, you know, not, I don't have a daycare I, and yeah. they've got some of the kids in my kids power hour are five and six years old. And I have them squatting and benching and deadlifting. They just, they did deadlift a little kettlebell, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and they bench press a, a light, you know, CrossFit bar, yeah. uh, stuff like that. And I set it up such that they can't hurt themselves. I put support racks up and, but it's, it's fun. And then also, you know, I'm big on anatomy and physiology. That's kind of my foundation. And so, uh, I like to brush up on that stuff. And so I, I have the kids in the evening time, we go through flashcards, learning the muscles and the bones. And, uh, but parents who have a different interest could probably involve their kids in something like that. So you get some, some time together, but also a learning opportunity, uh, you know, for everyone to do, you know, share in those kinds of things together. I, I have to say, and I know I'm not giving you much chance to ask questions, but there are some things in my life that have been life changing and uh, they don't cost any money. Uh, and I don't use that word lightly because I've been in this business for over 30 years and I've chased every trick and gimmick and hack uh, imaginable. Make sure I got you back there. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. So uh, I don't use the word lightly, but there's a few things. One, uh, as my weight 
as I gained weight, um, I came across, uh, I started to experience some sleep apnea and I got a CPAP. And I got to tell you what, that was life changing for me. After one or two nights on a CPAP, I woke up and suddenly the fog had cleared and I was out there doing, I mean, I was washing my car and cleaning the gutters and mowing the lawn. And (laughs) I had so much energy. It's unbelievable. So if you are overweight and you, or, and, or you snore and wake up tired, there's a good chance you've got sleep apnea and you're holding your breath all night and you're just going to be exhausted all day and have high blood pressure. And I probably touched on this briefly and under the sleep discussion earlier, but get a CPAP Uh, and you can get them online now without a prescription. and, And they're, very easy. Uh, they have these new auto paps that regulate themselves. I have a whole chapter on it in my book, and I referenced the, the machines to get. Um, even Craigslist has used CPAPs for sale that you can get. Just you know, buy a new mask and hose, and uh, the machine just forces air in when you're trying to hold your breath. That was life-changing. Uh, number two, a big one for me, was uh, meal prepping. Mm-hmm. And this is probably from all those years I spent in the bodybuilding industry. And probably the number one reason that bodybuilding figure physique bikini girls are all successful uh, is, and, and in research, we see this as well, that the number one compliance tip is meal prepping. Whether you get a meal prep company or you prep your meals yourself, if you are prepared and you have what you need when you need it. I used to carry around Tupperwares, which was a nightmare because they would, the food would get cold and it would get bad and you couldn't find a microwave and it would taste like crap. So, Suddenly, first, I can't remember where I came across it, but those thermos, those little 24-ounce thermos brand thermos on Amazon, they're like $20. Mm-hmm. They're double-insulated uh, you know, container that'll keep food hot for 10, 12-plus hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I didn't have to carry around Tupperwares and cold food and find microwaves. <laughs> in the morning when I'm making breakfast, I'll make two more meals, and I'll put them in thermos right there. I'll mm-hmm. use a little plastic canning funnel or, or jarring funnel, and I'll just put my meal in there. Uh, usually I make kind of a mash of uh, bison and egg and potato and rice and bone broth. And I make a, uh, you know, a nice moist mash of the foods that I wanted to eat. Mm-hmm. And now I'm traveling and I'm on an airplane and it's time for me to eat and I'm not foraging for, uh, you know, peanuts and, and chips. Uh, I can have my meal. I don't have to eat at the airport or room service or restaurants, which is a, a futile thing because people generally tend to overeat at restaurants as well. Mm-hmm. And even for busy professionals, police, fire, ambulance, uh, you know, soccer moms who work as real estate agents out of the trunk of their car driving around all day and then got to go pick the kids up and then they got to take them to their sporting events. If you have a couple of thermos with you when you leave the house in the morning, you're set. You're golden. No matter what happens, it takes you literally five minutes to stop off and have whatever, you know, your favorite food is nice and warm sitting there for you so you don't have to you know, dip into Carl's Jr. or just, or even worse yet, just going hungry, which makes you miserable, uh, you know, and tired. And generally you'll overeat when you do finally come across some food, you're famished. Uh, I'm, you know, I've traveled many times. I've, I've been over 14 countries in all 50 states, done over 200 seminars all over the world. And every time I travel, I just take my meals with me. If I've gone for a week, like when I went to Moscow or Switzerland uh, or Samoa, um, I'll pack 30 mils into a rolling Coleman cooler and put a strap on it and check it on the plane. And then when I land, I, love it. I just, I just wheel that into my extended stay or whatever. It's got a little kitchenette or a microwave and fridge is all you need. And I'm good for the whole week. I've got, you know, three or four meals a day and I can still go out with friends in the evening or if I'm, you know, with, with uh, clients or what have you. Uh, but I'm not 
forced to try and, uh, you know, forage for food and, and I'm on a great schedule. I'm not stressed. Um, and then the next morning, if I take my thermos with me, say on a Friday when I'm flying, then on Saturday morning, when I get up and I've got my meals that were in my cooler and I heat them up, I heat up two more and I put them into the thermos again and I'm good for the day. I can go do a seminar. I've got something for lunch. You know, then, you know, we can work out after that. Usually when I do seminars, we train and then I've got my food right there and I, I'm not in a hurry to get away. I can sit there and talk to people and take pictures and answer questions. Uh, I, I just found, again, I don't mean to belabor the point, but it's been so incredibly effective for me, saving time and money and helping with compliance that. Uh, just that little twenty dollars thermos was absolutely life changing. So, That's those right. are, I think, some some pretty important tips that that I I think people should be able to utilize to to make a significant change in uh, in improving their their sort of general uh, health and and lifestyle. Yeah, learning to learning to cook was probably the biggest game changer for, for myself. And now <laughs> I tell all my friends, they're like, you know, what do I need to do? And I'm like whatever you do, just learn how to cook a little bit. You don't have to be a pro, but like learn how to, you know, scramble some eggs, cook a little steak, a little chicken. Like you don't have to be a pro, but learn to no. cook for you, whatever it is. Um, I, I'm glad I'm not the only one who's traveled with a cooler full of Tupperwares. <laughs> I've done this in the past. I used to have to travel. I was living in Birmingham. I traveled down to Mobile, Alabama. And, uh, and man, I'd be gone for a week. And I was just like, I'm not eating no, I'm just not going to do it because I'm not gonna, like we worked long hours. I was like, I got to have some decent food. And my team thought I was a psychopath. And they look, you know, they teased me a little bit. But, you know, I felt good. And I stunk yeah. up the office with my microwave food. And it was all good. <laughs> uh, it's hard to find decent food on the road. You know, most no. restaurants or certainly fast food places or airports or room service. It's terrible garbage. It's really high, very fatty. Uh, I just, my stomach doesn't tolerate it. And so I, I do it almost as a, as a matter of necessity that I've, I've never done well with, with foods. I'm allergic to vegetable oils, which is in almost all of these foods that we're yeah. talking about. Mm -hmm. and, and I get really bad, uh, gastric distress. So I can't eat canola and soybean oil and, and those things. I just can't. And so I have to pack my own food or I have to try and Sometimes I'll stop someplace if I'm not prepared and I'll just go to a Walmart and I'll eat right off the shelves. I'll, I'll grab, you know, hard boiled eggs and some uh, cheddar cheese and, uh, you know, I'll find protein sources and some fruit and uh, I make a meal there. A Walmart is just as good as a restaurant. It's probably better. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's more choices. There you go. Get so, the rotisserie chicken. Have a, have a big day. Rather than pulling into Carl's Jr., I just pull into Walmart. And, I, you know, yeah. within a few minutes, I've got a meal in my basket and, and I can, you know, or any grocery store for that matter. Uh, Whole Foods is another one, you know, that mm -hmm. has a whole bunch of choices that you can go in and just get a, like you say, get a little salad, some hard-boiled eggs, a little piece of chicken, uh, and you're good. Yep, absolutely. Um, man, that's that's awesome. I want I want to take this and I want to, I want to go back. So you mentioned your book, Vertical Kids, at the beginning of this. I don't know if that's more on the nutrition side or the activity and training all of side it. for kids, all of it. All of it. I want to dig into this a little bit. So I've got, like I mentioned, I've got two boys, five and three. Um, I'm starting to get them involved. They're starting to get involved in, in Little League sports. So, you know, T-ball, baseball, about to start a little basketball, a little flag football. They're starting to get involved in all the things. They're watching me work out in the garage. They're interested in picking up weights, which is awesome. They're yep. interested in going for jogs, walking the dogs, the whole thing. I want to steward um, this opportunity that I have to raise them from this three to five age, I, focusing on 
Maybe it's the four, the barstool likes that you mentioned before yep. the, for those things. I don't know if there's a difference between adults and kids and then also an activity. When do I need to get them training? What, what's yeah. too early? I need a little context there. Can you help yeah. me out? Let's do it. Let's do it. And as a father with an eight to 10 year old and a 21 year old stepson, I've been raising since he was two. Uh, I've been through this a few times and uh, I'm very familiar with the literature. Um, Dr. Jose Antonio, well, well, the, the legs are the same. One is sleep, obviously, and that's huge at that age. The, the time you really got to focus on sleep is when these kids get into high school. That's when they start becoming a little more independent and, and you don't pay attention to it. That's the most important time. They're going through adolescence and maturing and the hormones and all of that. Uh, that's what led to my delayed onset puberty. I just didn't have adequate sleep and nutrition for my body to grow. Uh, but I'll, I'll just throw that out there. So the four legs are the same sleep, obviously kids need more sleep. They need up to 12 hours a night as you know, from, from what the literature suggests. Mm -hmm. And so get into bed early. Uh, they'll respond better in the morning. If you get them to bed early at night as well, if you yeah. don't let them sleep enough and you try and get them up in the morning, they're going to be really difficult. That's a, just a minor change that you can make. Uh, so the sleep's huge. Um, next up in terms of nutrition and I, I just I, I try to make this as simple as possible because we're dads we're busy and kids are very picky sometimes uh I I listened to a seminar I was at the uh, NSCA conference in, in Washington DC uh and Dr. Jose Antonio uh the president of the International Society of Sports Nutrition was presenting on kids nutrition he has two college age girls that play sports in college Everybody was sitting there in the packed room. All of us had our notepads out. And we were waiting to hear what he had to say about nutrition. And he said this very briefly. He said, get your kids a gram of protein per pound of body weight and forget about the rest. Mm. That was it. That was absolutely it. Because kids tend to be carboholics, you know. Yeah. So I let my kids know if and, and kids want desserts and snacks and all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, protein first. And that's all I say over and over and over again. Protein first. And they very quickly learn what protein is. Protein is an egg. Protein is chicken. Protein is milk. Protein is meat. Uh, protein can be, you know, beans and brown rice for those people who are vegetarians. But protein first. And I try and get them about a gram per pound or 0.8 grams per pound of body weight. If your kid's 100 pounds, try and get them 80 grams of protein a day. Uh, that's maybe if it's three meals, it's 30 grams a meal. If it's uh, four meals, it's 20 grams a meal. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Fairlife has a, a little... Uh, drink that's got 30 grams of protein in it with only two grams of sugars. And so you can, you can mix and match, you know, one egg, half a fair life, uh, a little bit of cottage cheese or yogurt, um, you know, that, that kind of thing, but put it together. Kids tend to be carboholics. And so I've started blend. I had to blend my foods. If I gave them eggs and toast, the toast would be gone and the eggs would still be sitting there. So yeah, we, now we I, we I struggle I, with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I scramble the eggs with rice I make an eggs and rice blend. They can't mm. pick it out. I make, I make it into a mash. Uh, <laughs> and you can put a little teeny bit of bone broth in there if you want for consistency or what have you. Uh, French toast. I will absolutely smother that toast with egg. I mean, to the point where it's, it's almost too soggy to pick up to put in the pan. <laughs> and, and that'll get them to eat you know, the egg. It's mixed yeah. together. Same with that monster mash I mentioned. I'll mix beef and rice a lot and a little bit of bone broth into a consistency that they enjoy and maybe add an egg if they enjoy that. But mm -hmm. those are methods that I use, uh, you know, obviously to get them to eat more protein throughout the day, again, milk, a fair life, uh, protein shake. And once that's satisfied, it, uh, very little else matters. I you know, throw some fruit at them, uh, see if they have a 
particular vegetable that they enjoy and, you know, include it uh, here and there. It, it, it really isn't the priority. The, pri- the protein is the priority. And if you get the protein from a variety of sources, one egg, one beef, one chicken, uh, one dairy throughout the day. Um, and I actually have a little uh, refrigerator thing that I put up that, that shows each food and they have to move the magnets into the area, uh, you oh, know, nice. 80 grams of protein a day. And so an egg has six grams. So I put a six on it. And at the end of the day, they have to have accumulated enough to add up to the 80. Right. Uh-huh. Yep. And it has to be from a variety of sources, one from the dairy box, one from the meat box and one from the egg box and one, you know, so I, they know, you know, kind of what they have to have acquired by the end of the day. Uh, there's so many uh, micronutrients in those foods, the, the whole egg with the, the biotin and the choline and the vitamin K and the red meat with the uh, iron and B12 and zinc and carnitine and creatine. Uh, all of those things are in those in the dairy with your vitamin D and uh, your calcium. And so you're, you're, you're not likely to be at a deficit if your kid's picky about vegetables. And obviously we try and include what vegetables they'll eat, uh, but that could be a challenge. And if you, and the point of this conversation is if you're hyper-focused on eat your veggies, that's kind of, that you're putting it in the wrong order uh, because the vegetables simply don't have the amount and the diversity of nutrients that these uh, animal protein foods have. And I know this is offensive to the vegetarians and, and vegans. And again, I have a chapter in my book. I have vegan clients that compete in sports uh, and I design programs for them for that very reason. And if that's the way you want your kids to eat, uh, that's great. But it, it can be very difficult to get compliance and to achieve uh, sufficient um, uh, macronutrients and micronutrients, protein in particular, uh, on that diet. You'll, you'll just have to be a little more disciplined and, and consistent with, with that. Um, but without belaboring the point. And then as far as exercise, now we've got diet, get a gram of protein per pound of body weight from a variety of uh, whole food, animal-based sources. Um, and then if they want to treat, you know, who cares? You know, you, you got them what they need for the day to grow, yep. to, to achieve their genetic potential. Uh, now exercise. And this is a big one. First and foremost, it should be fun. Let them play. Uh, and, and they'll be m- much more likely to participate more often. And that could be a variety of things. I'll take my kids to the, the uptown jungle fun park, they call it here, where, you know, so where they bounce on trampolines and they climb up walls. And uh, to me, that's exercise. That's sports as far as I'm concerned. They're, they're climbing and jumping. And I'll just take them to the jungle gym at school, after school. Again, I've got my little thermos. I go pick them up for school. <laughs> I don't care if they want to stay at the park for an hour because, I, you know, I, obviously I'm fortunate because I work mostly off of my phone. Um, but I'm prepared. I might even bring food for them. So that they, you know, after school, they can have a little snack and then they can play on the park. Uh, that play is very important. Uh, and I think just about every day, they think kids should should move around for up to an hour a day uh, and somewhat deliberately, you know, with the intent of, of exerting themselves. Kids are amazing. Their amount of energy is uh, and their ability to recover from uh, from exercise is extraordinary. I mean, like that of a professional athlete, they're, they're that durable and uh, resilient. Uh, and, and, uh, that gets us into training, weight training. Uh, one of the lowest injury rates is resistance training, uh, lifting weights and the American Academy of Pediatrics doesn't just suggest, but they say it's essential for adolescents to do some sort of resistance training. Uh, not only does it have a very low injury rate, well below that of playing football or soccer and even playing on the jungle gym at the park, uh, lifting weights has much, much lower injury rates. 65% of those injuries, which are very low to begin with, 
occurs simply from dropping a weight on themselves, (laughs) (laughs) not from the lifting. There's no evidence that it impairs growth. That was uh, one bad uh, piece of information that came out some 30 years ago that's been persistent in literature, uh, but it's been debunked. And uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics actually recommends as an essential activity for kids to lift, it reduces the likelihood of injury in sports that they participate in. The kids who lift, in addition to playing sports, have fewer injuries. So it's a preventative. Also, especially with concerns to girls, uh, bone mineral density is a huge thing for women, as you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, Resistance training and sufficient protein and calcium in the diet, those three together, uh, dramatically improve bone mineral density, which is almost completely uh, finished by the time they're in their early 20s. And what they have in their early 20s is what they're going to have pretty much for the rest of their life. Uh, And hopefully they can maintain it with an ongoing program of sufficient protein and training. But adolescence, it's even more important than adults for them to uh, undergo some sort of resistance training, because that's how bone mineral density uh, is developed, is through actually stress on those bones. That's intentional. And so that would include anything from uh, obviously weightlifting would be would be key. Gymnastics is a great one. Oddly enough, just running seemed not to improve bone mineral density because uh, you need to load the muscles. Mm-hmm. Uh, the impact force, obviously the exercise is great, but it doesn't contribute to bone mineral density. So yes, I encourage kids to lift. You could be uh, obviously push-ups and dips would be great. You know, those kinds of things for kids and chin-ups, but there should be some sort of loading and the loading could be just a weighted carries. You could have them pick up little kettlebells and walk with them. Yep. And that loads them from traps to toes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that helps the spine and the hips and all, and the, and the uh, bones of the, uh, of the, uh, the thighs all get thicker and the muscles, obviously most of what they gain in terms of performance at that early age is what's called neural adaptation. Their nervous system learns to coordinate and fire the muscles in such a way that they uh, can express that in improved sports performance, but it has less to do with hypertrophy and, and, and not all that much to do with strength necessarily. Uh, the strength is a, a kind of a byproduct of coordination uh, and uh, nervous system firing and contracting the muscles that kids just don't really have a, a sense of until they start actually lifting loads and getting quote unquote, better at it. It would be like kind of learning to shoot a a free throw shot. You know, you're terrible, but over time with practice, you get better and better. It's the same thing with lifting. And then as they get into puberty, when the hormones start to uh, accommodate growth um, for for boys, testosterone in particular, uh, then they'll already have the foundation to where they can gain significant amount of muscle mass and strength. Gotcha. Okay. So that's huge because I've you know, I've heard that piece of information that you, you just alluded to that, you know, that's if, if they lift when they're young, it's going to stunt their growth and, and that whole thing. And I've worried about that because, like I said, like I was saying before, like when I led into the question about nutrition, there's so much information. We hear so many things. It's yeah. hard to find a source that we trust unless you really know how to read literature, which hand raised, I really don't. I learn from people that I trust. So like this example A right here. That's huge. And I hope people hear that and pick that out that, and, and correct me if I'm wrong in saying this, not only like, is that information wrong, that if they lift at a young age, they're going, going to impede their growth. It sounds like it's really 
like they need to lift at a young age so that they can grow and develop more once they're older. Is that fair? Again, this is a quote from the American Academy of Pediatrics. They use the word essential for adolescents to undergo some sort of resistance training. That's, I mean, that's huge. That's, that's a game changer. Um, Man, that's that's awesome. I could talk about this with you all day <laughs> long, man. Um, gosh, so good, Stan. I want to be respectful of your time. I, I I told you this would we we had an hour today. Do, can I can I hold you on for one more last question? Yeah. Shoot. All right, so last question, and I ask everybody this question here on the show. That's the reason I want to ask you. So it's about the word legacy. When I think about legacy, I think about two things. I think about the people that. God willing, hopefully I will leave behind on this earth. And I think about the people that are the most important to me. So that's two buckets. You put those together. That's my kids. So when I think about legacy, I think about the moments, the memories, the lessons, like the little things, little experiences that we will share together so that, like I said, God willing, hopefully one day I get to leave them behind on earth. They'll get to kind of have those foundations, those little moments, memories, lessons. They can use those and carry, carry on live the rest of their lives uh, with those. So if I, through that lens, if I frame it that way, turn it around and say, Stan, what do you want your legacy to be with your kiddos? How would you answer that question? Yeah, I tell you, I thought a lot about this because I had kids late in life. I was almost 45 years old before I, you know, obviously I was raising my stepson during that time, but um, uh, his mother was, you know, largely responsible for, uh, for, you know, most of that while I was at work, she was, she was taking care of him. We've been together 20 years. So, um, but with these two little rugrats coming along and me working out of the house, I've just had a, and kind of being uh, past the time at which I was working from dark to dark, you know, now I'm work off my phone and work at home and I, I don't, I don't have the same commitment to the hours and the, the, the like. So I'm totally focused on trying to spend as much time with them as possible. But I was on a tour last summer before last, I went on a, uh, a nationwide tour of seminars. It was 60 cities in 60 days. I did a, a, a seminar in all 48 states plus DC. Um, and, and a couple of states, I did more than one. I put in 16,000 miles in a van. I was, I was gone out of the house for 60 days. Left Las Vegas and drove all throughout the entire country giving seminars. And uh, uh, part of that, uh, there was a young man uh, who's a military veteran, Iraqi war veteran, Purple Heart, uh, who was injured, and he traveled around with me and did a presentation on uh, on uh, uh, mental health, uh, suicide, and that kind of thing to to talk to a lot of the people along the way. And he said something really interesting that stuck with me. When when a kid says to you, "Did you see that, Dad? Did you see that?" It's because they know you didn't, because you were glued to your phone. And if your kid says, "Dad, Dad, Dad," you're getting annoyed because they say, dad, 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 there's a reason they're saying dad, 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 you're not paying attention. You're not present. You're in your phone and you're not watching. And all they really want is for you to acknowledge them. Uh, I know what they're doing isn't, it doesn't, might not seem all that uh, groundbreaking or, you know, uh, but to them it is. And that was huge when he told me that, you know, and so I've really, it's probably the one thing is I just want to make sure they know I was present that I listened, uh, that I watched, uh, you know, that I was attentive, uh, that I encouraged them, uh, obviously challenged them. Uh, and that's really, you know, I think one of the most important things is just to be present as much as possible. My pops worked dark to dark. I, I didn't see him before school and he wasn't home until, uh, and I was at work 
and, and probably didn't see him until 10 o'clock at night in those days uh, through, through almost all of high school uh, and earlier, you know, because he, he traveled an hour each way to work. And so uh, I didn't have as much opportunity. And I think if we were in the position to where you can spend time, uh, I think we have to be really attentive to that fact that you really need to be present. Man, I'm really glad you gave us a couple more minutes to answer that because that fr- that right there, that is it's just pure gold, pure yeah. gold. Uh, man, Stan, thank you so much for making some time for us. Like I said, such an honor, such a blessing to get to have you here. I know you're a busy dude, and uh, you know your your time, your intention, everything that you shared with us. It's a gift. We receive it as such. It's like I said, honor to have you. Where's the best place for people to find you, follow you, learn more about you? Where can we find the new book? When's that coming out? Give Everything's at Stan Efforting. StanEfferting.com is where I have my Vertical Diet 3.0 ebook, which is quite popular internationally with thousands of people on the program. Uh, at Stan Efforting is my Instagram. And then on YouTube, Stan Efforting. I've got a lot of great little YouTubes on there. The Vertical Kids book is pending. It's going to take a few more months to finish. And then, of course, it's got to get through publishing. So it might be six months before that one's out. Perfect. We will link it all up in the show notes. We'll be on the lookout for that for that book for the kids. Man, super pumped about that as well. Stan, like I said, thank you so much. We'll stay in touch. Appreciate you, brother. All right, brother. Take care. All right, everybody. That's it. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, do me a huge favor and subscribe to the show or leave us a rating and review. We can't thank you enough for your support. Until next time, remember to love and lead from the front. See you.